Well, um, this morning, as we continue our grace series, I brought, a, I brought a book with me, and I just want to ask you a question about the book. Um, if I were to hold this book up like this, and I were to let it go, what do you think would happen? Anybody surprised? If I were to hold this book up, and I were to let it go, what do you, now this is a different book than that book. They're the same color, but it's a totally different book. What do you think would happen? I, I'm pretty sure something would beep. Other than that, what do you think would happen? Now some of you OCD people are like, if you drop one more book, I'm done. Well, all I gotta say that is this right here. Because that's just how God made me. Nobody's surprised when you hold a book up like that or anything else. If you let go of it, what's going to happen? Nobody's surprised because we all know that there's something invisible working in the room today that we can't see but we believe is true, and it's called gravity. That's right. It's called gravity. How many of you have ever um, gone to the fair or an amusement park and you've ridden this ride called the Gravitron? Have you ridden the Gravitron? Yeah? Yeah, you like it? I don't like it anymore. I used to like it. I don't like it anymore. Uh, back when I started uh, riding the Gravitron, it was very different than it is now. You know, they got all these uh, seat belt and sign a waiver and lock in, and then the little tray's going to ride to the top. If you've ridden those, you've not had the opportunity to ride a real Gravitron. I rode one. How many of you heard of Dog Patch USA? Anybody heard of Dog Patch? You, really? I'm so shocked. It's like this knockoff theme park in Arkansas I went to when I was in eighth grade. And, and they had a Gravitron, but it wasn't nothing like these high-tech. It was a bowl. It was a round room with a metal floor. You go into it, and that thing starts spinning round and round like a cotton candy twirler, like this. And it spins fast enough that you start to feel the centrifugal force stick you to the wall. And there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no way out. There's no doorknob. There's nothing. Nobody sued anybody back then, I don't think. So well, I'm just sticking to the wall, things going round, 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 and all of a sudden the floor drops out from under you and drops about five feet. And you can see the floor go down and down and down, and you're stuck to the wall like this. There's a girl next to you, her sunglasses flipped up to the top like that. We're all like this, kind of peeled to the wall. And I mean, literally, you feel like that, you know that little fur and the cotton candy twirler because you never can really get off? That's how we felt. We're just stuck to the wall there. But that's, that's, that's the principle, again, we're trying to defy gravity, right? Well, I also remember, um, you ever ridden free fall? You know, you go in a little tower and it drops out. I remember my cousin told me, hey, when you get up there, I'd never ridden it. Take a quarter and put it on your knee, right? You know what happens. You fall faster than the quarter, and when you drop, the quarter actually floats right here by your eyes. You're going, you know, who knows, 100 miles an hour, whatever it is. You're just dropping story after story after story, and the quarter's bobbing like this. And then you hit the ground, of course, and it, you know, goes everywhere. You don't really know what happened to the quarter. Uh, but it's gone. But we like stuff like that. Let me tell you why we like things like that. We like these ideas because most of us secretly want to defy gravity and fly, right? We want to, we want to, be, we want to be set free from that principle or that rule. And, but the truth is you and I are born subject to gravity, we might get in a little ride that kind of pushes the limit. We might see a quarter float for a few seconds. But the truth is, you and I are subject to gravity. We're born that way, and nothing's ever going to change that. Gravity's constantly pulling us toward the earth. In some ways, sin is like gravity. 
We're all born subject to it, and it constantly is pulling us to go a certain way. How do we overcome it? That's what we're talking about in this series, grace. We've called this series Grow in Grace, 2 Peter 3.18. The last verse of the second book of Peter, um, he writes, Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so grace is the way we overcome this gravitational pull that sucks us all in. But look, living in grace is as strange to us as taking someone who's only lived in gravity to outer space and they live in a completely different environment where they float. You ever seen the astronauts float around and you know, they squirt their toothpaste and it kind of floats. They try to catch it with their, with their toothbrush, you know, so they can brush their teeth. They go get to drink some water and a little bubble's floating through the air. Isn't it cool? It's so cool. But that's a completely different... How many of you believe that if you were going to move from Earth to space, you'd have to learn how to do everything all over again, Right? That's what it's like when you move from sin to grace. And the move isn't clean. It isn't exact. It isn't one moment. We have to learn a new way of doing life. It is a grace way of doing life. And it's a, it's a completely foreign environment that's governed by different laws and different ways of doing things. Now, it just so happens that when you and I begin to follow Jesus, we've lived our whole lives condemned. We talked last week about how we're born into a culture of death, and we, we were born that way. We were born subject to that. We were born under, under the rules. We were born condemned. We were born guilty. We were born in sin. But when God's grace, grace fills our life, we enter into a different environment. We enter into grace outer space, Right? Where we have a whole different motivation, a whole different way of doing life. If you want to do a deep dive in grace, I can tell you where to look. Paul the Apostle, who wrote a lot of the books of the New Testament, I'll show you the books that he wrote, I'll put them on the screen. He wrote mostly about grace near the end of his life. And he wrote a lot of his books near the end of his life. So you can see, if you want to look at any, if you want to do a deep dive in grace, go to the New Testament in the Bible and read through these books because there's so much information, there's so much truth about grace inside these books. We're going to look mostly at Galatians, although we'll look at a few of the um, other books that Paul wrote this morning. It's interesting that Paul wrote so much about grace because his history is anything but that. Paul, before he was Paul the Apostle, was one of the most aggressive leaders against Christianity and one of the most aggressive persecutors of Christians that we see anywhere in the New Testament. But when he met Jesus, his entire life changed. Now, these uh, books that I put up there, we call them books because that's how we understand them. They're really not books, they're really letters because many of the books in the New Testament are actually letters written from someone like Paul to a specific church. So oftentimes at the beginning of the letter, you'll hear someone say, you know, to the church at Ephesus or the church at Galatia. And so he's writing to a specific church or group of churches this letter. And in this letter to the church in Galatia, he's actually responding to three complaints. The church there had started to complain about Paul and about what he was teaching because they, they had come into a, a disagreement. So there are three accusations they made against him 
Um, the scripture we're going to look at this morning really narrows in on one of those accusations. They were saying to Paul, look, Paul, if you keep teaching people grace the way that you are, they're going to sin more. So we think your message about grace is wrong, and we think you need to stop teaching it, because if you keep teaching it, it's going to make people sin more. Galatians 5 and 6 is Paul's answer to that accusation. So he opens up the very first verse of chapter 5. Let's look at that together this morning. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You get that? So Jesus set us free for a purpose. What was the purpose? To live free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, you guys think the way to break gravity, you guys think the way to break sin is to crank down tighter on the rules. That people just don't understand the rules well enough. And if you, you just crank down on them a little bit more, that's going to break sin's hold. And he's saying, I'm telling you, that's not going to break sin's hold. Freedom will break sin's hold. Grace will break sin's hold. So this is where he begins to kind of unpack for them his theology on grace. It's critical to grow in grace because to grow in grace is to grow in freedom. And why did Christ set you free? To live in freedom. So it's critical that you and I grow in grace because that's how we grow. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you five signs that you're growing in grace. How do you know... You're growing in grace. We talked about uh, misunderstanding grace the first week. Last week we talked about um, justification, how God, uh, Jesus on the cross, took away our sin. He added Jesus' righteous work and he multiplied our future. We talked about how God invests in our potential. And then t today we're going to talk about five signs uh, you know that you're growing in grace. Number one. You know you're growing in grace when your self-awareness is growing. Now, this is a, this is a giant deal that, that um, I don't think we've talked enough about in the church, but we certainly need to. The most grace-filled people I know, I want you to think about it for a minute, the most grace-filled people you know, is this true? They have a high sense of self-awareness. They know their strengths they know their weaknesses. They know who they are. They know if they're going to sin, probably which sin they're going to do. <laughs> right? Because they have a high sense of self-awareness. Now, you may have heard of this. It's called the Johari window. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see it. Because I think it's the best picture I know of. It's a little uh, chart. But I think it's the best picture that I know of that helps us understand this whole concept of self-awareness. So let's just look at the boxes for a minute. There's this area that we call the open area. And that's the area that um, everybody sees uh, about you. In other words, this is your best self. These are your best traits. These are the things that you're going to... When you meet someone for the first time, you've heard the phrase, put your best foot forward, right? Well, that's what this part of you is, this open part. You and I purposely take the best part of ourselves and we push it out front, and we leave it there as long as we can, right? Because that's the best part of ourselves. Now, that's the part about you and I, that, about me, that I know, and it's the part about me that I let you know. All right, then there's the uh, next window. There's the hidden window. The hidden window is the part of me that I know, 
but I don't let you know. I've hidden that part. I know it's there. I'm fully aware that it's there. But I'm going to do everything I can do to hide it because I don't want you to think bad of me. That's how we all kind of go. Now, here's the other part. The blind part is the part that you see about me, but I don't see. Like, I can't see it. Like, like, I, I remember uh, when, when uh, Stacy and I, uh, first, the first few years we got married, she would say, she would look at me and she would say to me, your tone. I'd say, what do you mean my tone? Nobody's ever told me my tone was wrong. Your tone just sounds too strong. I'd say, no, it doesn't. I'm just goofing off. I'm just, I'm just saying what I think. And you know, the more I grew up and learned to listen to her, the more I went, you know, my tone's a little too hard. You need to be careful with that. Never had anybody tell me that. You know why? Because other people could see it, but I couldn't. And so that's the part of us that we're blind to. Now, here's the last part. It's the unknown part. Now watch. That's the part we miss because we won't deal with the blind part. We have people who say, do you know that when you said this, this is how it sounded. No, it didn't. Well, yeah, it did. Did you know when you do this, this is what people think? No, they don't. Yes, they do. <laughs> but you're blind to it. Now, here's the deal. People, the theory is, you and I's greatest potential lies in the unknown area of our life. But the only way to get to it is to go through the blind part of us. We have to listen to other people around us point out and say, hey, this is what everybody else sees or some people see or the people closest to you see, but you don't see. And if you shut those voices off, you'll never get to the unknown part. You'll never get to the part that unlocks your potential. Now, you say, okay, that's a bunch of psychological hocus-pocus what does that have to do with the Bible or grace or me? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul is writing this letter to his protege, Timothy, and here's what he says. Here's a trustworthy saying. You can count on it. That deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Which one of them am I? <laughs> I am the worst. Paul said, I'm the worst. Do you think he knew himself? This is the inspired Word of God, written down for our benefit. He knew who he was. He knew the bad side of himself. And Paul the Apostle planted churches all over the world that multiplied into the thousands because he got to the unknown part of himself because he was willing to go through the blind part of himself. His self-awareness came up. Look, the proof of spiritual maturity is not how strong you are or how pure you are. It's how in touch are you with your own weaknesses. That's what spiritual maturity is. Why does that matter? It matters because it opens the door for more grace. I don't come to God with my strengths and say, Oh, I'm so strong here, I need grace today. Do I? No. I come to God and I say, oh no, <laughs> it's worse than I thought. <laughs> God, I need grace more than I thought I did. And that's what opens the door for more grace. 
It's through my weaknesses that I access the grace of God. Grace of God because it's through my weaknesses that I become most aware of my need for the grace of God. So how do you grow in (laughs) self-awareness? Ask someone you trust. What's my greatest strength? And what do you think is my greatest weakness? And they just might, if they trust you and you trust them, they just might start to poke at that blind part. And you say, ooh, ooh, that hurts. But you have, you have to just listen. I have, I have a, a trusted friend that I asked a few months ago. Um, when you listen to me and you see my life, what do you, what do you see and what do you hear? Just, just tell me. Whatever you want to say, say whatever you want to say. And I just listened. And it was a friend that I had built enough trust in, and they had enough trust in me that they told me some things that were good, and they told me some things that weren't so good. And I just listened. But as I listened, something good happened in my life because I became reacquainted with my need for God's grace. Said, oh, I need your grace, God. God, help me in this. I, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I hadn't seen that in a while. God, would you help me today with your grace? Grace means that you and I can stop lying to ourselves about ourselves. We don't have to pretend to hide, to do better. Then we're free to come to God as we are. Because grace gives us the security of God's unconditional love to allow us to deal with the inconsistencies and the quirks and the brokenness and the dysfunction. Despite how broken we are, we we come directly to God's grace and we ask God's grace to come directly to the most broken part of our soul. And I'm going to tell you, when God's grace is applied to the most broken part of your soul, a dynamic happens that changes something on the inside of you that sets you free. I guarantee you, there's freedom there. But receiving God's grace for yourself is one of the greatest challenges that you'll ever face. We all want God's grace for other people. Oh, God, Jesus, give them grace. Love them, help them, you know. But that's because we're talking about their weakness. Because that's what you're talking about when you're talking about grace. But we have a hard time receiving grace for ourselves. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, no, that's not true. You hadn't met my teenager. They'll just blow something up, give themselves grace, and forgive themselves, and they move on. They're gone. They're going to blow something else up. You, you, you hadn't met my kid. Look, uh, we tend to have two approaches to grace. One is we tend to consume it. The person that just blows stuff up and see nothing bothers them, no matter how bad, how much pain they inflict on somebody else's life, nothing seems to bother them. That's not receiving grace, that's consuming it. And there's a difference. Or we tend to reject grace because we don't think we deserve it or need it 
and we're not changed by it. Did you notice that whether you consume grace or reject grace, you're still not changed by it because you haven't received it yet? Receiving grace is what changes the soul. So the question I have for you this morning is, do you accept the grace of God in the worst parts of your life? Maybe you don't even know what the worst parts of your life are yet. And that's okay. That's, but you'll know you're growing in grace when you're growing in self-awareness. Number two, you're growing, in, you're growing in grace when you grow in your ability to truly serve others. Deep water this morning. <laughs> the less grace we have, the more our serving will be about us and not about them. You ever had someone give you something and you secretly wondered, I wonder what that's going to cost me? <laughs> right? I mean, come on. You're like, I don't really want to take it because I feel like this isn't really a gift. This gift comes with an expectation that I'm going to have to, and I'm not even sure what it is sometimes, but I know it's there, right? So it's the kind of that idea, you serve me and I'll serve you. That's, that's not called serving, that's called trading. <laughs> serving is like grace, it's a gift. When I serve you, I'm giving a gift to you. But look, grace allows me to serve other people with no expectation in return. I'm giving you a gift. Just serving you. What you do with it is between you and God. Grace allows you to serve others without trying to fix them. I don't have to fix you. Why? Because I'm broken too. <laughs> it's all right. I don't have to try. God, only Jesus can really fix you. Isn't it easier to work on other people than yourself? Well, I'll tell you right now, if they just don't really do this, if they do that, if he'd stop talking to her like that, and all that, it's so easy to fix everybody else. But what grace allows you to do is to serve people without feeling the need to fix them. Because there's one healer, and it's Jesus. <laughs> That's it. So I don't have to point out all your problems. Why? When you're growing in grace, you feel less a need to point other people's problems out. Because you realize that you got more than they got probably. You just don't see yours. Grace also allows you to serve other people without feeling better than them. I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't, you know what? I don't have to do all the talking. I'm free to listen. I'm free to wait. I'm free to be grateful for the work of God's grace that's in your life. Let me show you this uh, nuance in Scripture. We say Galatians 5 is where Paul starts this conversation about grace. The first verse of Galatians 6 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Now, look, very, very interesting. If someone you get, is caught, don't you hate getting caught? Just to tell the truth. You hate getting caught. Right? You, you got your hand in the pantry and the cookies. Your wife walks in. What are you doing? <laughs> Nothing? Dinner's in, you know, 30 minutes. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Don't you hate getting caught? Everybody hates getting caught. This is not a good deal. <laughs> Somebody's been caught in a sin. Can there be a more vulnerable moment? Then when you're caught red-handed in a sin, there's nowhere to hide, there's no excuse, caught is caught. <laughs> Dead to rights. 
But there's a warning in this verse for the catcher. There's a warning here for the person who caught the person. You wouldn't think so. I don't need grace. I didn't do anything wrong. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Watch yourself or you may also be tempted. What might you be tempted to do when you catch someone in sin? I don't know, gossip? You'll never guess what I caught blah, blah doing. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Now who's worse off? You might be tempted to do the same sin they do. Well, if they can do it, I can do it. You might be tempted to think that you're better than them. I'd never do anything like that. Oh, no, you just go tell everybody. And the temptation, even in the process of restoring someone caught in sin, is pride and self-righteousness. The moment a person gets caught, they are most aware of their need for grace. But the person who caught them is least aware of their need of grace. Because they say, I didn't do anything wrong. Why? I know why they need grace. Why do I need grace? Here's a question. Are you the kind of person who really likes to drop the hammer when people are wrong? That's a lack of grace, isn't it? That's a lack of grace. All some people need is a badge and one bullet in their gun. And they turn into Barney Fife. They're going to fix this town. Right? Some people, the last thing you need to give them is authority. Because, man, I, I, we're going we're gonna to ship this, ship-shape this thing. Oh, this sloppy outfit, we're going to fix it, and we're going to fix it now. Oh, man. It's a graceless life. What about when, you're, when your spouse comes to you and says, you know, I've been thinking about what we've been fighting about. And I just wanted to apologize to you because I'm sorry and I really feel like I've been wrong. Who's at risk in that moment? Not the person who's apologizing. The person at risk is the one listening to the apology. Because the temptation is, I've been waiting for this. And I'm going to let you have it. You're right, you're wrong. It's about time you figured it out. Right? Right? That's the moment that you're at risk. Finally, you've been stubborn and you've been hard-headed about this, and I finally got you in a weak moment. What am I going to do with your weakness? And what am I going to do with my strength? And what you do in that moment says everything about God's grace in your life. What you're going to do with it. Look, uh, in our church, we take a lot of missions trips. We serve all over the world. And I'm so grateful and proud of that. But we've got to guard our hearts as wealthy Americans who come into poor countries. We can be tempted to feel superior. We're here to rescue you. What we can't lose sight of the fact is we need rescuing as much as anybody else. Just because we have a better economy doesn't mean we need less grace. We need the same grace. We might even be, in some ways, worse off because we're tempted to lean on our resources. They don't have that temptation. Their resources aren't there. Anytime we perceive the person we're serving is weaker than we are, we have to guard our heart because our temptation is we don't need grace. So how, how's all that going? How's your serving going? How are you treating the people around you that need help? 
How are you treating your spouse and your family when they need restoration and grace? What you do with your strength is going to reveal everything about God's grace in your life. Number three, how do you know you're growing in grace? Signs you're growing in grace. You're growing in your ability to handle failure and success. Nobody likes a sore loser, but a sore winner might be worse. <laughs> Nobody wants a sore winner. Don't gloat, right? Don't rub it in our heart. You won. Isn't that enough? A sure sign of a lack of grace is a preoccupation with success. I must succeed at all cost. The question is then, why are you so afraid of failure? What lack of grace is in your life? Because too often we put our entire identity on the line and if we fail, we lose our identity and, and, and everything's gone. And so if we're not careful, when we succeed, success is a test too because when we succeed, we are tempted to be identified by that success. I'm, I'm a success. How do you know? Because I've been successful. But we talked last week, your identity's not success, your identity's grace. It's not self-righteousness, it's not what we've done. But we'll talk for a minute about failure because it's probably what most of us are more familiar with. What do we do when we find ourselves not living up to what we believe? Well, I've got news, God's not shocked by our failure. The apostle Peter cursed and lied about even knowing who Jesus was, and he was one of his closest followers and failures are hard to face because we're afraid we're going to become defined by them or remembered by them but on Easter Sunday night Jesus came and appeared to the apostle Peter and he began to talk to him and he said do you love me oh can you imagine how that would have hurt what do you mean do I love you why are you asking that well because you just told them you didn't know me do, do you love me but the Apostle Peter was restored by God's grace and became one of the greatest leaders in the New Testament church. Because of God's grace, you and I are free to face our failures. A sure sign we're not growing in grace is we're avoiding our failures. You got any failures lingering around in the shadows of your life that you keep putting off and putting off? No, we don't talk about that around here. Why? Because it's painful. Because it hurts. Because if we're honest, we're afraid. We're afraid if we talk about it, we're going to become it. We're afraid if we face up to it, then, then we, we become identified by it and we don't really know how to cure it. I've got a cure. It's the grace of God. There is no failure that you cannot recover from because of the grace of God. That's what God's grace is. It sets you free. I can remember... Um, sitting with a colonel. Uh, I don't remember what branch he served in, but he came by the church office years ago, and he sat and told me for three hours uh, stories, unbelievable stories of his life. He had raised four kids. They had the perfect family and home and, you know, four boys, and there were kids in and out of the house all their life. They were the, they were the fun house in the neighborhood. And his youngest son was on the team that went into Baghdad and pulled Saddam Hussein out of his hideout. Uh, so they had deep military roots. And he told me how his kids had graduated high school and left home, and he got disoriented, and he left his wife 
for a younger woman and he had taken on addictions in his life and how, how this man with a distinguished military career with a successful family by every external measurement had then wrecked his own life and he came for three hours and poured it out on me and when I got to the end of it I realized this man has no ability to face his failure. Let's face it, that's a bad one. But there's no failure more powerful than God's grace. And by God's grace, you can face any failure that, you, that, you, that comes in your life. Number four, you know you're growing in grace when your trust in God is growing. Faith is more than just believing that God exists. Faith is believing that God is at work even when I can't see any proof. Faith is believing much more. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways submit to Him and what will He do? He will make your path straight. You, you ever had anybody when you're really going through a hard time and they come to you and they say, Oh, just trust God. Don't you just want to slap them? <laughs> oh, just trust God, you know. And you go, wait, wait, wait. You're not, you're not feeling quite enough what I'm going through here. Don't, don't throw pixie dust on my problem and give me a little magic solution. You just trust God, you know. You just trust God. You just trust God. Because it's so easy. So simple. You're making your life so complicated and so hard. Just trust God. It'll all go away. And usually, you know, they have no challenges in their life at all at that time. And you go, of course. Of course it's easy for you. You're not facing anything. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How do you do that? How, 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 do, we, how do you do that? It's because you receive grace. Grace grows your ability to trust God. Trust is when you go all in with Jesus and you don't have another solution. <laughs> and you say, hey, if he doesn't, if he doesn't come through, like this isn't going to work. <laughs> this is all I got. And the way that you get there is you grow in God's grace. Because you realize His grace is a power that sustains you through your weakness and is faithful and reliable and dependable. So you know that you're growing in grace if your trust in God is growing. Last one, you know you're growing in grace if your love for God is growing. Grace will free you to love God. Watch this. Because it's the only relationship you'll ever have in your life where there's absolutely no fear of rejection. God will never reject you. So you don't have to worry about that. God will never manipulate you. God will never abandon you. And God will never betray you. So you are free to love Him because He loved you first. And the sure sign that you're growing in grace is that your love for God is growing. How's your love for God today? Which way would you say it's going? Has it stalled out and not moved in a long time? Or do you feel kind of distant from Him? Or do you feel that your love for God, your affection, your, your desire for God is growing? Like the more you know Him, the more you want to know Him. Karl Barth uh, was a famous theologian in another time. And he wrote um, a volume, uh, uh, sorry, a series of volumes called Church Dogmatics. 
thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of theology. And when he got to the end of all of that, he sat down after all that knowledge and he scripted out a definition of God. I want to share with you this morning what Karl Barth's definition of God is. Four simple words. The one who loves. The one who loves. Who is God? God is the one who loves. Several years ago, I heard a man say, God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. There is no why. If there was a why, there'd be a condition. God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. How do you know, uh, how, how do you grow your love for God? Get to know him better. To know God is to love Him. I guarantee you, you won't get to know God better and go, oh, I didn't know this. You know, you ever meet somebody and like, like you're enamored by them for a while and then you get to the point and you go, oh, I didn't know about that. Oh, that that's different. That's never going to happen with God. There's no dark part of God that's ever going to jump out of a closet and shock you. The better you know Him, the better you're going to love Him. A few years ago... Um, some of the staff and I were over on uh, Green Springs Road in Birmingham at George Ward Park playing disc golf. And there was a man laid out on a park bench up in the woods where we were. Uh, he was an alcoholic and a diabetic, and he thought he was having a heart attack when we walked up on him. And um, so we stopped and talked to him for a few minutes. And uh, as he started talking, he said, we just asked some questions, you know, get to know him a little bit. And he said, you know, God's mad at me. That's what he said. God's mad at me. Well, why is God mad at you? Well, he's mad at me because of how bad I've messed my life up. And he started to wonder, I don't even know why I'm still alive. All the times that I've let God down, why have I not died yet? And I don't know, when I sat and listened to him, man, it's almost like those people that wrote Paul the Apostle and said... Man, you got to give them the rules. If you give them all this grace stuff, they're just going to sin more. Something rose up inside. I thought, no, 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 no. This isn't what he's saying is not true. This guy doesn't even believe the truth. And I said, look, God's not going to change because you do. Your failures can't change God. Go on, fail, sin, wreck your life. Go get drunk, blow it up. God will still love you. You know why? Because he won't change just because you do. He's not gonna, he's not gonna become something different. And go, oh, I'm so tired of you. I'm not gonna be God anymore. I'm not gonna be loving anymore. I'm gonna be filled with hate now. How fragile and weak would God be if that's what he did? So I said to him, go ahead and keep running from God if you want to. But you're gonna run right back into his stubborn grace, and that's why you hadn't died yet. I, I thought, man, I said, look, do you know who we are? You got four pastors out in the middle of the woods throwing frisbees. Looking at a guy on a park bench that thinks he's dying of a heart attack. If God didn't love you, why would he keep sending people into your life to help you? If he didn't love you, why are we even standing here? And we were able to call a friend of his and come on over. And as the ambulance came, I said, look, God is not done with you. He's got a plan for you. Stop running. And stop using your failures as an excuse to reject God's grace. 
We use our failures, oh, you know, after what I've done, it's an excuse. Stop using failures as an excuse to reject God's grace. God's not going to fail you just because you fail Him. He's not a man that He should lie. He's not like any of us. So I said, hey, can I pray with you before the paramedic comes? <laughs> and we prayed. The paramedic came and took him off. Would you stand with me this morning? I believe God's grace is for you. And I, I just, I just want to end in a simple way today. I, I, every, everybody in the room, I want to ask you just to close your eyes right where you stand. And just find a place you can be still. And I just want to ask yourself today, where do I need to grow in grace? Is there something God is trying to show you about yourself? Probably a weakness. So that you can receive His grace on a deeper level. Is there a failure that you've kind of pushed out of the way? Have you identified too much of your identity with your success? Are you struggling to trust God? Have you found your love for Him has grown cold? Where in your life today do you need God's grace? Here's what I just simply want you to do. Nobody looking around, every eye closed. I'm not even going to call the prayer team today because I, I think grace is something that every person needs. So I don't want to do the, if you need this, come to the prayer team. What I want you to do is say, where do you need this? So everybody in the room is at the same place. So right where you stand, how about you just start praying and just start saying, God, today I receive your grace for whatever it is. I receive your grace for my weakness. I receive your grace for what you've done in my life. I receive your grace over my failure. Maybe you need forgiveness today. Would you say, God, I receive forgiveness. I receive grace and forgiveness for what I've done. Lord, I, I receive the washing of the blood of Christ to wash away my sin. Lord, today I receive your grace to trust you. Maybe you're in a struggle. You're just going through a long battle and you say, I just, how do I trust God? I'll tell you how. Access God's grace that will give you the strength to trust God when you don't know how. Lord, today I receive your grace to trust you. I can't even trust you without your help. But Lord, today I receive that grace. Maybe your love for God's grown cold and you just are far away from Him. Would you just pray today and say, God, I receive your grace. God, I receive grace to love you again. I receive grace to be excited about you again. I receive grace to live in joy. I receive grace that I might have affectionate feelings for you, God. I live in grace that I might love you. Lord, I live in grace that I might grow. Maybe you're stuck somewhere. And you say, God, today I receive grace to move on again, grow again.
move forward again. And I'm telling you, God's grace is here. Would you, just, would you just open both your hands and just hold them like this? And before we leave today, I just want us all to pray together. And I just want us to receive God's grace. Not, not for your spouse, not for your family, not for your kids, not for your boss, not for somebody on the other side of the church. For you. Dear God, today we receive your grace. Come on and just pray. I receive your grace. And by your grace, I live. And by your grace, I overcome. And by your grace, I am forgiven. And by your grace, I am strong. And by your grace, I am healed. And by your grace, I am a victorious Christian. By your grace, I live the abundant life that you came to give me. I receive your grace today. In Jesus' name. Hey, I'm so glad you came today. As most of the New Testament letters end, go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great day today.